This is Slack and Slash Productions. Bringing you an extra special bonus Strawcast, a fast cast. Let's talk about Taroka. Let's talk Taroka. What's that? Well, it's a fictional fortune-telling deck. It came about in, I believe, the third edition. At some point along the road, the long, winding road of Ravenloft products, they decided to stop letting you do fortune-telling with ordinary playing cards and start making you pay to get... (laughs) specialty cards from Wizards of the Coast, and you hold the 5th edition version of these cards in your hands. That's the sound of them being shuffled. Uh, I have lots to say about Taroka and the way that it's used in the game. Uh, I know you're shocked, but (laughs) let's just start by talking about the cards themselves as a kind of aesthetic product. You've had a chance to look at them now, Mm -hmm. and you've looked at many lovely tarot decks, I know you're a fan. I am. I have many tarot decks. So this deck is not the same as tarot. It it does have what we'd call major arcana. Uh, I think they're called the high deck. Mm -hmm. It has a set of 14 cards that stand apart from the suits. And then there are four suits with 10 cards each. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not the same number of cards, but it's sort of the same idea, the same general shape of of Mm -hmm. deck as the tarot. But most of the names of the cards are not tarot cards at all. Probably all of them. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is that the what we would call minor cards, so the 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 suits, yep. have numbers and names. Mm-hmm. That's rare in tarot. I know at least one deck that does that. The the Toth deck. Okay. Uh, but yes, n- normally you're Generally, right. Generally, it's just it's two just, of cups, yeah, yeah, five two of, of swords, and right. it has a meaning, but it doesn't have a specific name, whereas this is mm-hmm. the one of swords, and it's also the Avenger. You got it. They are doubling down. Doubling up? Double. <laughs> They're making them more accessible, more easy to use, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, the artwork is black and white. In the original deck, although I've colored mine in a little bit. Bless you for coloring them. Mm, well. Because otherwise they all look the same to me. They're a little little dull? Yeah, they're not. Clearly not the same. They're gorgeous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, black and white is fine. Um, but if I was to do a reading mm-hmm. in a tarot card, part of the way that I recognize a card is what color it is. Well, yeah, fair enough. So, And I think... That may be especially a problem here because there are four suits, but they kind of look the same to me. Yeah, even uh, the even the little icons in the corner. There's no way to identify. You have to really yeah get like look yeah to discover which of these four suits is is it or is right. it a the crown card? Like which is it? So mm-hmm. it takes a minute. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, I think part of the reason that they're not as distinct is because they're invoking or no, evoking a lot of uh, D&D archetypes in here. And so unless you're very well-versed in D&D classes, uh, a card called the Evoker, and a card called the Elementalist, and a card called the Transmuter, 
they're not really going to speak different things to you. Um, there's, you know, a card called the priest, and another one called the missionary, and another one called the philanthropist. And, yeah, again, a D&D player might understand intuitively what, what those differences are, but a casual card reader might not. But it was definitely designed specifically for use in D&D, &D and, and even mm -hmm. more specifically in, in use in Barovia. Mm -hmm. um, there are cards that allude very specifically to Barovian things. Overall, I'd say it's a very grim, dark deck, you know? Very grim. Yeah. Um, you know, Tarot has a couple of grim cards, Death and the Devil, uh, but then they've got plenty of happy-looking cards as well. And these ones are, you know, there's the Beast. There's the Broken One. There's the... The Dungeon and the Mists and the Necromancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, the Dark Lord, which is... Our buddy Strahd. Spoiler. Uh, not really. <laughs> uh, and in fact, these cards make the campaign setting almost spoiler-proof. They are designed to randomize some fundamental elements of the storytelling. Um, the, the fancy academic highfalutin word for that is aleatory. Um, it's a... Take that back. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. It's probably aleatory. Ugh. Um, it, it refers to uh, a reading experience that's somehow randomized. So choose your own adventure books mm -hmm. are aleatory. Mm -hmm. uh, or a, a book that's designed to, you know, be dropped on the floor like 52 pickup, and then you read the pages in, in a random order. Nobody's made a book like uh, that. Are you kidding? Of course. Of course. Of course. That's bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. Was, was it you? No. I'm not that smart. <laughs> Nor am I as smart as Tracy and Laura Hickman, because they were the ones, when they wrote the very first Ravenloft module in 1983, they included a fortune-telling scene. And again, they weren't using Taroka back then, they were just using playing cards. But the results of the fortune-telling scene determined some essential things about the module. They told you where to find magic items, and where they could locate Strahd, and even what Strahd's main goal was when you're playing. And because that's aleatory or random, it means that you could replay the same module over and over again with the same players and get a different experience every time. That's exciting. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool, cool. So that brings us to the Curse of Strahd, the fifth edition game that we're playing through. And the Taroka deck does almost the same thing as it did way back in I6. It's not the same? Uh, well, it, it tells you the locations of three important items. Mm -hmm. um, the Sun Sword, which, you know, obviously is good against vampires. Uh, there's a holy item uh, called the Holy Symbol of Ravenkind. And there's the Tome of Strahd. Mm. And so these are hidden somewhere in Barovia. And even the DM doesn't know where they are until the reading occurs. Right. The other two things are Strahd's location. Mm. He moves around all the time, of course, but here's a location somewhere in the castle where they can always reliably find him, which is kind of important. So every time they go there, he'll be there. Yeah, he'll definitely be in whatever that one room is. Schrodinger's um, Strahd. <laughs> something like that. The opposite. Or, uh, whatever. Uh, and then the final one in this version is an ally, another NPC, 
whose presence can help you to defeat Strahd. There are some hidden mechanical benefits that come if you bring this ally along with you. So determining which ally it is, uh, also random. And yeah, as we've recorded this podcast, uh, we did do the Taroka reading. Uh, officially, you're supposed to do it before the game even starts and, and not tell the players. Or maybe maybe you tell the players, but it's like a cutscene and they're not actually present for it. Um, if, you, if you start the game and then let the game go on for too long without doing the reading, then it can screw things up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody can look under a rock and then only later dis- you discover that that's where the, that's where the, that's where the sun sword was supposed to be. Uh, so when, when we did the reading, so mm-hmm. now you know the answers to those mm-hmm. five things, but you still haven't told your players and there's no... Right. How... Hmm. That's, how did they get to that conclusion from we've given them this is what the card means yeah. player facing... Yeah. I don't think any of them wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's on them. Um, yes, I, I see what you're saying, and and so because it's because it's fortune telling, it's 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 very um, obscure, right? It's very cryptic. Yes. So, for example, uh, in our reading, we revealed that the tome was at the Abbey of Saint Markovia because we drew. Um, you just gave that away. Yeah, the well, good point. Uh, players, stop listening to this one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, yeah, there it is. So they drew the missionary card, and and I'm just going to read to you what it says in the Curse of Strahd playbook. Um, it it has specific. There's, there's two flavor texts for each one. Uh, no. It, from what I not definitions. From what I thought. Mm-hmm. Some of them. Again? Some of them so have more than one. It looked as though there was something that you would. Tell the players for yeah, flavor text yeah. and something that what okay. it actually meant for you. Yes, yes, what I that's correct. Okay. So, the Two of Glyphs missionary says this. I see a garden dusted with snow, watched over by a scarecrow with a sackcloth grin. Look not to the garden, but to the guardian. And then under that it says for the DM, The treasure is hidden inside one of the scarecrows in the garden of the Abbey of St. Markovia. Chapter 8, area S9. Mm-hmm. Right. So what you're saying is, because the players don't hear the second part, mm. they really don't have any leads on the first part. And all they can really do is stumble around Barovia, which is an enormous sandbox, hoping to find a garden dusted with snow watched over by a scarecrow with a sackcloth grin. And you're right. Okay. <laughs> there's. All right. I wasn't missing something. No. Nope, Car- carry nope. on. There's, there's nothing in the book that tells you how to lead the players to that spot. Mm. And there's also nothing in the book that offers you an explanation or, or helps you to design an explanation for how the object got there. Oh. And and that maybe that's not a big deal. Like, players never tend to think about that kind of shit. Yeah, but, but to me, those are one and the same. If I can come up with a backstory for how this book ended up stuffed into a scarecrow in this garden... Then I have a, a trail of breadcrumbs that the players could conceivably stumble upon. So here's what I've done. And again, if my players are listening, they should stop. Um, <laughs> so I'll give you another example. The, we, we drew a card, uh, the Druid, for the holy symbol uh, of Ravenkind. Uh, I'm calling it the Queen's Medallion in our campaign because I want it to I, I want it to have an origin. It's not just a random holy symbol. It, it 
it came from the queen. It came from Strahd's mother. And that's part of its powers, that it reminds him that he was human once. So, having drawn the druid, I now know that the holy symbol is buried at a place called Yester Hill, which is where some druids hang out. It's way off the beaten track, so it's very unlikely that the players are just going to randomly wander up and start digging under that tree, right? Even if they have that clue. I guess I should read the clue as well so that we know what they're dealing with, what they're working with. It was, an evil tree grows atop a hill of graves where the ancient dead sleep. The ravens can help you find it. Look for the treasure there. So, in that case, there's a little bit of help for the PCs. Mm -hmm. Where ravens is what they're referring to there. But what I did was I sort of worked backwards to create a, a story for the object. I know that it's now at Yester Hill. So I read about Yester Hill and I found out, ah, there's a skeleton of, of some kind of warrior there. So then I, I, I assumed that that warrior had the holy symbol on him and died there. And that's why the holy symbol's still there. Now I need to figure out who that warrior was. So I look around the campaign setting to find... A, a group of knights, a group of, of warriors, somebody who might be likely to go challenge a bunch of evil druids and get killed for their trouble. And guess what? There's the Order of the Silver Dragon uh, hmm. in in uh, in Barovia. It's mostly extinct now. They're mostly revenants, but maybe a generation ago, the last of those knights died at Yester Hill and left that holy symbol there. So now... If they go to Yester Hill, they have a clue, but also if they go to Argenvost, where the Order of the Silver Dragon is located, they can pick up a clue there. How did it get to the Order of the Silver Dragon? Well, the Burgomaster in Barovia gave it to one of the knights. Hey, they know that guy. They do know the Burgomaster, and they also know that he used to have it because before the Burgomaster had it, it was obtained by the Durst family and then loaned to the Burgomaster for study. So there's a little note in the Durst family's dungeon in the reliquary that says, Queen's Medallion on loan to Coliana. Now there are four separate places where they could pick up the trail. And even if they see one of those places and totally miss the boat, like they, they fail to pick up the clue, which mm -hmm. I think they've done already in Death House, think, yeah. there are still other opportunities for them to continue. Uh, but you said you weren't down. that smart. Well, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, no. Hmm. Huh? Hmm? Huh? I'm impressed. Thanks. That's cool. Thanks. It's, it's an opportunity for me to make more of the campaign world relevant to them. Because if one of the objects is over with the druids, and another one's over at the abbey, and another one's in the town of Velaki, well, that means that some of the other locations, like the werewolf den, they never have any reason to go there. But if I stitch them all together, there's a higher chance mm -hmm. that they'll end up at some of those interesting places. Cool. Now, they may still never find one or all of these objects, it's still an awful lot to demand of players to go on that kind of treasure hunt, right? Usually players are told, go into that dungeon, <laughs> and in the last room, after you kill the big bad, you'll find a treasure. But Ravenloft mm -mm. doesn't work that way. I'm not sure they even 
notice the significance of that reading. That of the did. reading? Yeah, I'm not sure they noticed it. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's hard mm -hmm. to tell because mm -hmm. half of them are on Zoom, but... Yeah. Well, and that brings me to uh, another element that's, again, written into the campaign. There are a couple of NPCs that know their way around Taroka decks, and so if they encounter those PCs, then they have an opportunity to, in the first case, actually get a Taroka reading done, mm. you know, and in that case, it would replace the one that the DM has already done behind the screen. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, the one, whatever happens in front of them takes precedence. But in this case, I had Irina do the reading mm -hmm. because Irina doesn't have enough to do. And now, but she's also new at it. I decided that she just started doing Taroka. So if they encounter another one of those PCs, then she, or hopefully one of the PCs, will will ask, you know, well, what, is, what does this reading mean? And then they'll get nice. some more clues. Okay. And if that's not enough, then maybe the next time they meet an NPC who plays Taroka, they'll get even more clues. Maybe so, they'll listen to this podcast maybe, and you give them the <laughs> Maybe they'll listen. Exactly. Exactly. It's <laughs> a test. This is like, guess what, guys? If you're listening to this podcast, even though you were told not to, mm -hmm. you've been rewarded for listening to the podcast. Well, mm -hmm. my our players are surprisingly good at not metagaming. Mm. You know, you might remember when yes. Laird was looking at the map of the Burgomaster's Mansion and said, well... I can see there's a T there that means trapdoor to the attic, but since my <laughs> since my character doesn't have a map, then yeah, yeah. he he doesn't know that. And you know that's a rare gift for to, for a DM to have players who could see opportunities to take advantage, right. uh, but not choose not to do them. So I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna take a leap of faith and say that even if they listen to these uh, behind the screen type podcasts, that they're not going to abuse that knowledge. And if they do. I can change the location of the <laughs> objects. <laughs> He's drawing new cards now, guys. <laughs> uh, I've, I've decided to do a couple more things with the Taroka deck as okay. we go along. So I'll tell you quickly about what I've chosen to do with that. Um, first of all, you have been drawing a card for us yes. at the beginning of each session. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work out to a card for each chapter of the podcast, unfortunately. But uh, every two or three podcasts, we, we turn over another card. And that allows me to stitch in some of the motifs and maybe introduce some characters uh, a little bit early into the game. You know, so I think the second or third one we drew was the ghost Mm -hmm. And I have a little notebook, and I've got a bunch of different options for ghosts of characters. But at that time, the perfect ghost was the ghost of the Burgomaster, because they just buried him, and he had something more to offer to them. So it's kind of like a little randomizer for me to go, oh, let's see if we can bring this element into this particular session. Your brain must go a mile a minute at the, when I pull that card. Mm. Sometimes I forget about it immediately, and then <laughs> later in the game I'm really lucky and I go, oh yes, he's kind of like a broken one. <laughs> ah, now you're in the basement, it's kind of like a donjon, right? But the other thing that those cards are doing is counting down to the oh. session where Strahd notices that the heroes are in his land. He oh. hasn't he hasn't noticed yet. He's he's doing other stuff. He's doing doing important vampire business. But when you turn over the Dark Lord, we're gonna have to play it with poker faces, but that's when I have to bring Strahd into the action. 
fun. Yeah, yeah. So they don't know it, but there's this well, now they do. uncertain timer, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a time bomb that could go off at any point. Uh, so that's, that's, that's kind cool. of fun for me, too. Um, the last thing that I'm doing has to do with Irina again, because she's using the Taroka cards. Uh, I think in the original... Let's see if I can bring up... She She's... She's an NPC. She's almost certainly going to spend some time traveling with the PCs. Um, she used to be... Well, I shouldn't say she used to be a damsel in distress, because I think they always wrote her as a little more uh, rounded than that. Um, but just in terms of mechanics, she is listed as a human noble. A LG female human noble with 14 hit points. And a noble just means look up those stats and you'll be able to hit with a sword and do this amount of damage. It's it's an NPC class, more or less. But I didn't think that was very interesting. So I have given her uh, some levels of sorcerer. Hmm. Thinking that she is drawing her power from the Taroka deck or from the land itself. And that's maybe part of why Strahd is interested in her. And so sorcerers can have their magic from a couple of different sources, and one of them in the Player's Handbook in 5th edition is called Wild Magic. And it's another randomized uh, element. Sometimes when you cast a spell, you roll percentile dice, and there's a chart in the Player's Handbook, and you look it up and, oh, you've just grown a pair of antlers. <laughs> or you teleport to Limbo for 10 minutes or something. You know, they're, they're usually not either terribly beneficial or terribly harmful, but they're kind of these weird side effects. Cool. And somebody online has come up with a wild magic table using the Taroka deck instead. So we can draw a card, and I'll check on the, the table to see what happens okay. as a result. Yeah. I like cards. I, I know you like rolling <laughs> dice and drawing cards, <laughs> and that's what we're here for. We're here to keep you happy. Yes, it's all about me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Strahdcast is produced by Slack and Slash Productions. We're based in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, also known as Unamagi, the unceded and ancestral territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Other participants have joined the podcast remotely using Zoom from Treaty 6 land, a.k.a. Alberta, as well as Seminole Territory, a.k.a. Florida. We're honored and grateful to live and work on native land. They're called First Nations for a reason. In this episode, we talked about the Taroka deck, which was originally designed by Chuck Lukash and is available as part of the Curse of Strahd revamped, published by Wizards of the Coast, as well as the legendary edition of the same campaign, published by Beetle and Grimms. I also borrowed some inspiration from some online sources, including the Taroka Wild Magic system designed by the Simple Cyborg, and there's also some great Taroka-based random encounter effects done by Sly Flourish on their website. Check them out. If you like what we do, please rate or review us on the podcast platform where you found us. Until next time, thanks for listening. My cats are doing something stupid. It's very distracting. <laughs>